Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from An Enchanted Garden by Mrs. Molesworth. Chapter 8 The winter passed and the summer came again, the second summer of the baby's life. She had grown like the flowers and was as happy as the butterflies. Never was a sweeter or merrier child. The queen idolized her, and the king loved her quite as dearly, though in a wiser way. And that summer passed very happily. Unfortunately, however... The warm, fine days came to an end unusually early that year. Many of the birds took flight for the south sooner than their wont, and the flowers drooped and withered, as if afraid of what was coming. The queen noticed these signs with a sinking heart. Standing one chilly morning at the palace windows, she watched the gray autumn sky and sighed deeply. "'Alas, alas!' she said. "'All the beauty and brightness are going again.' She did not know that the king had entered the room and was standing behind her. "'Nay,' he said cheerfully, "'you have no reason to feel so sad. If you have no other flower, you have our little rose, blooming as brightly in the winter as in the warmth.' He meant it well, but it would have been wiser had he said nothing. The queen turned toward him impatiently. "'It is not so,' she said angrily. "'Rose is like me. She loves the summer and the sunshine.' I do not believe she would live through your wretched northern winters, but for my incessant care and constant watchfulness. And the anxiety is too much for me. It will wear me to death before she is grown up. Indeed, there are times that I almost regret she was ever born. The life in this country is but half a life. Would that I had known it before I ever came hither. It was rarely, discontented and complaining though she was, that the queen had so yielded to her temper. The king was deeply hurt and disappointed, and he left the room without speaking. He was generally so kind and patient that this startled her and brought her to her senses. "'How wrong of me to grieve him so by my wild words,' she thought penitently. And—a sudden horror came over her. What had she been saying? What had she done? And the fairy's warning returned to her memory." If you forget your resolution, the slightest touch of snow will put the baby into my stern brother's power, and you will find yourself terribly punished. The poor queen shivered. Already to her excited fancy, as she glanced at the sky, it seemed that the lurid gray which betokened snow was coming over it. Oh, sweet summer spirit, she cried, forgive me and plead for me. But a melancholy wail from the cold wind blowing through the trees in the grounds of the palace was the only reply. The summer fairy was far away. The sky cleared again later that day, and for some short time the cold did not increase. But it would be difficult to describe what the queen went through. It was useless to hope that the winter would pass without snow, for, so far north, such a thing had never been known. Still, no doubt, its coming appeared to be delayed and the weather prophets felt somewhat at fault. The queen began to breathe rather more freely again, in the hope that possibly her appeal to the summer spirit had, after all, been heard. Everyone had noticed her pale and anxious looks, 
Everyone had noticed also how very gentle and uncomplaining she had become. She was so eager to make all the amends she could, that one day, when the king remarked that he thought it very wrong for the princess to be so guarded from the open air she had been lately, the queen, though with fear and trembling, gave orders that the baby should be taken out. "'I will accompany her myself,' she said to the attendants. So the little princess was wrapped up in her costly furs, and placed in her tiny chariot, drawn by goats, the queen walking beside her. The little girl laughed with delight, and chattered in her baby way about everything she saw. She seemed like a little prisoner suddenly set at liberty, for the last few weeks had been spent by the poor little thing in rooms specially prepared, where no breath of the outer air could find its way in. For who knows, thought the queen, how some tiny flake of snow might be wafted down the chimney or through the slightest chink of the window. Today, in spite of her anxiety, the baby's happy face made her mother's heart feel lighter. Surely, she said to herself, it must be a sign that I am forgiven, and all will yet be well. And to please her little daughter, she took her farther than she had intended, even entering a little way into a pine wood skirting the palace grounds at one side, a favorite resort of hers in the summer. The princess's nurse picked up some fir cones and gave them to the little girl, who threw them about in glee and called out for more. They were all so busy playing with her that they did not notice how, above the heads of the tall fir trees, the sky was growing dark and overcast, till suddenly a strange chill blast made the queen gather her mantle round her and gaze up in alarm. "'We must hasten home,' she said. "'It is growing so cold.' "'Yes, indeed,' said one of the ladies. "'It almost looks like—' But the queen interrupted her. She could not bear even the mention of the fatal word. "'Wrap up the princess,' she exclaimed. "'Cover her over, face and all. Never mind if she cries. My darling, we shall be home directly. The cold wind would hurt you,' she added to the little girl. Then they hurried back to the palace as quickly as the goats could be persuaded to go, even the queen herself running fast to keep up with the little carriage. They were within a short distance of the palace before any snow fell, though it was clear to be seen that it was not far off, and the queen was beginning to breathe again more freely, when suddenly Princess Rose, who had behaved beautifully till now, with a cry of baby mischief, pushed away the shawl that was over her face, shouting with glee. At that very moment the first fluttering snowflakes began to fall. The little princess opened wide her eyes as she caught sight of them, and smiled as if in greeting— and alas, before the terrified queen had time to replace the covering the child had thrown off, one solitary flake alighted on her cheek, melting there into a tiny drop which looked like a tear, though still the little princess smiled. The queen seized the child in her arms, and though her heart had almost ceased beating with terror, rushed up the long flights of steps, all through the great halls and corridors like a mad creature, nor stopped even to draw breath till she had reached the princess's apartments and had her safe in the rooms specially prepared for her during the winter. But was she safe? Was it not already too late? With trembling dread the queen drew away the furs and shawls wrapped around the baby, almost expecting to find her changed in some strange way, perhaps even dead. And it was with thankfulness that she saw that little Rose was still herself, sweet and smiling in her sleep, for she was fast asleep." "'The darling, precious angel,' thought the poor mother, as she laid her in her little cot, just as the ladies and nurses and all the attendants came trooping into the room. "'She is only asleep,' said the queen in a whisper. "'Nothing has happened to her. She is sleeping sweetly.' 
The lady stared. The queen's behavior had been so strange they could not understand her. It is a pity to be so anxious about the child, they said to each other. It will bring no blessing. For they thought it all came from the queen's foolish terror lest the little princess should catch cold, and they shook their heads. But the queen seemed full of thankfulness, very gentle and subdued. Many times that afternoon she came back to see if little Rose was well. The baby looked a picture of health, but she was still sleeping. "'The fresh, keen air has made her drowsy, I suppose,' said the head nurse, late in the evening when the queen returned again. "'And she has had nothing to eat since the middle of the day,' said the mother anxiously. "'I almost think if she does not wake of herself in an hour or so, you will have to rouse her.' To this the nurse agreed. But two hours later, on the queen's next visit to the nursery, there was a strange report to give her. The nurse had tried to wake the baby, but it was all in vain. Little Rose just smiled sweetly and rolled over on her other side, without attempting in the least to open her eyes. It seemed cruel to disturb her. She was though very sleepy. "'I think we must let the princess have her sleep out. Children are like that sometimes,' said the nurse. And the queen was forced to agree to it, though she had a strange sinking feeling at the heart. And even the king, when he came to look at his little daughter, felt uneasy, though he tried to speak cheerfully." The morning dawned. The slow-coming winter daylight of the north found its way into the princess's nursery through the one thickly glazed window. A tiny gleam of ruddy sunshine even managed to creep in and kiss her dimpled cheek, but still the baby slept, as soundly as if the night were only beginning. And matters grew serious. It was no use trying to wake her. They all did their best—king, queen, ladies, nurses— and after them the great court physicians and learned men of every kind. All were summoned and all consulted, and as the days went on, a hundred different things were tried. They held the strongest smelling salts to her poor little nostrils. The baby only drew up her small nose the least bit in the world, and turned over again with a tiny snore. They rang the bells. They had the loudest German bands to be found far or near to play all at once in her room, they fetched all the pet dogs in the neighborhood, and set them snarling and snapping at each other close beside her. And, as a last resort, they lifted her out of bed and plunged her into a cold bath. She did not even shiver. And, with tears rolling down their faces, the queen and the ladies and nurses wrapped her up again, and put her cozily back to bed, where she seemed contented as ever, while they all sat down together to have a good cry, which, sad to say, was of no use at all. She is bewitched, said the cleverest of all the doctors. And as time went on, everybody began to agree with him. Even the king himself was obliged to think that something of the kind must be at the bottom of it. And at last, one day, the queen, unable to endure her remorse any longer, told him the whole story, entreating him to forgive her for having, by her discontent and murmuring, brought upon him so great a sorrow. The king was very kind, but very grave. I understand it now, he said. The summer fairy told you true. Our northern winter spirit is indeed stern and implacable. We must submit. If we are patient and resigned, it is possible that in the future even his cold heart may be melted by the sight of our suffering. It is only I who deserve it, wept the poor queen. The worst part of it all is to know I have brought this sorrow upon you, my dear husband. And so repentant was she that she almost forgot to think of herself. Never had she been so sweet and loving a wife. 
She did everything she possibly could to please and cheer the king, concealing from him the many bitter tears she said as she sat for hours together beside the sleeping child. The winter was terribly severe. Never had the snow lain more thickly. Never had the wind blast raged and howled more furiously. Often did the queen think to herself that the storm spirits must be infuriated at her very presence in their special domain. They might pity me now, she thought, now that I am so punished. But she bore all the winter cold and terrors uncomplainingly, nay, even cheerfully, nerving herself to go out alone in the bitterest weather, with a sort of hope of pleasing the winter fairy, possibly if she could but see him, of making a, an appeal to him. But for many months he held his icy sway. Often, indeed, it seemed as if gentler times were never to return. Then suddenly, one night, the frost went. A mild, soft breeze replaced the fierce blast. Spring had come. And wonderful to relate, the very next morning the queen was roused by loud knockings and voices at her door. Trembling, she knew not why, she opened it, and the head nurse fell at her feet laughing and crying at once. The princess had awakened. Yes, there she was, chattering in her baby way, smiling and rosy as if nothing had been the matter. She held out her arms to her mother, calling, Mama, in the most delightful way. She knew her father again quite well. She was very hungry for her breakfast. Oh, the joy of her parents, and the jubilation throughout all the palace. I could not describe it. And all through the summer, little Rose was wide awake. In the daytime, that is to say, just like the other children. She was as well and strong and happy as a baby could be. But the summer will not last forever. Again returned the autumn, bringing with it the signs of the approaching winter. And one morning, when her nurse came to awaken the princess, she found it was no use. Rose was sleeping again, with a smile on her face, calm and content, but alas, not to be awakened. And then it was remembered that the first snow had fallen during the night. More to satisfy the queen than with the hope of its doing any good, all the efforts of the year before were repeated, but with no success. And gradually the child's distressed parents resigned themselves to the sad truth. Their daughter was to be theirs only for half her life. For full six months out of every twelve, she was to be in a sense as far away from them as if the winter monarch had carried her off to his palace of ice altogether. But no, it was not quite so bad as that would have been. And the queen, who was fast learning to count her blessings instead of her troubles, smiled through her tears as she said to the king what a mercy it was that they were still able to watch beside their precious child, to kiss her soft warm cheek every morning and every night. And so it went on. In the spring the princess woke up again, bright and well and lively, and in every way six months older than when she had fallen asleep, so that, to see her in the summer time, no one could have guessed the strange spell that was over her. She became the sweetest and most charming girl in the world. Only one thing ever saddened her, and that was the mention of winter, especially of snow. "'What does it mean?' she would ask sometimes. "'What are they talking of? Show me this wonderful thing.' Where does it grow? I want to see it. But no one could make her understand, and at these times a very strange look would come into her blue eyes. I must see it, she said. Some day I shall go and travel far, far until I find it. These words used to distress her mother more, more than she could say, and she would shower presents and treasures on her daughter, of flowers and singing birds and lovely embroidered dresses, 
all to make her think of the sunshine in the summer. And for a time they would please the girl, till again she shook her head and murmured, I want the snow. So the years followed each other till Rose was sixteen. Every winter the queen had a faint hope, which, however, grew even fainter and fainter, that the spell was perhaps to be broken. But it was not so, and strange stories got about concerning the princess, some saying she was a witch in disguise, others that she had no heart or understanding, others that she turned into a bird or some animal during half her life, so that the neighboring princes, in spite of her beauty and sweetness, were afraid to ask her in marriage. And this brought new sorrow to her parents, for she was their only child. "'What will become of her after we are dead and gone?' they said. "'Who will care for and protect our darling? "'Who will help her to rule over our nation? "'No people will remain faithful to a sovereign "'who's only awake half the year. "'There will be revolts and rebellions, "'and her angel Rose may perhaps be put to death "'or driven away.' "'And so they fretted over this, "'so that the hair of both the king and queen "'grew white long before its time.' but Rose only loved them the more on this account, for she had heard someone say that white hair was like snow, though she kept the fancy to herself, for she knew it troubled the queen if she ever mentioned the strange, mysterious word. She was so lovely that painters came from many countries just to see her face, and, if possible, be allowed to make a picture of her. And one of these portraits found its way to the court of a king who was a distant cousin of her father, and who had heard the strange things said of the princess. He was very angry about it, for he had two sons, and he was afraid of their falling in love with the beautiful face. So he ordered the picture to be destroyed, before the elder prince, who was away on a visit, came home. But the servant who was to burn the picture thought it such a pity to do so, so he only hid it away in a lumber room, and thither, as fate would have it, came the younger prince one day in search of a pet kitten of his sister's which had strayed away, for he was a prince of a most kind and amiable nature. The moment he saw the picture he fell in love with it. He made inquiry and heard all there was to tell. Then he arrayed for himself for a journey and came to bid his father farewell. "'I go,' he said, "'to woo the princess Rose for my bride.' And in spite of all the king could say, he kept firm." If she is a witch, he said, I would rather perish by her hands than live with any other. And amidst tears and lamentations he set out. He was received with great delight at the court of Princess Rose's parents, though he came without any pomp or display, for he lost no time in telling the king and queen the reason for his visit. Knowing him to be a prince of most estimable character, they were overjoyed to hear of his resolve. I only trust, said the queen, that all may go well, but, as you have doubtless heard, our darling child, despite her beauty and goodness, is under a strange spell. She then proceeded to tell him the whole matter, of which he had already heard garbled accounts. He was relieved to find that the enchantment was of no worse a nature, and declared that it made no difference in his intentions, but rather increased his love for the princess. And when he first set eyes on her, more beautiful by far than even the beautiful portrait, he felt that his whole life would not be too much to devote to her, even considering her strange affliction. And who knows, he said to himself, but such love as mine may find a way to release her from the spell. The princess quickly learned to like him. She had never before had a companion so near her own age, and the last days of summer passed most happily, 
till the time came when the prince thought he might venture to ask her to be his wife. They were walking on a terrace in front of the castle when he did so. It had been a lovely day, but the afternoon had grown chilly, and as the princess listened to his words, a cold breath of wind passed near them. The princess started, and aware of the queen's anxiety about her, the prince hastily proposed that they should return to the house. But Rose looked at him with a light in her eyes which he had never seen before, and a strange smile broke over her face. "'It is new life to me,' she said. "'Can you not understand, you who are yourself a child of the North? "'Yes, prince, I will marry you on one condition, "'that you will show me the snow, but on no other.' And then she turned, and without another word walked slowly back to the palace. Prince Orso, for so he was called, felt terribly distressed. The spell is upon her, he thought to himself. She asks me to do what would probably kill her, or separate her forever from all who love her. And the king and queen, when they heard his story, were as nearly as disappointed as he. But that very night the prince had a strange dream. He thought he was walking in the wood near the castle, when again a chill blast, but still more icy, swept past him, and he heard a voice speaking to him. It sounded hoarse and stern. Or so, it said, you're as foolish as the rest. Have you no trust? See what came of rebellion against me, who, after all, love my many children as dearly as does my sister of the summer. Leave the princess to the leadings of her own heart, and dare not to interfere." Then, as with a crash of thunder, the spirit went on his way, and the prince awoke to find that the window of his room had been dashed in by the force of a sudden gale which had arisen. But the next morning all was again calm. It almost seemed as if the milder weather was returning again, and the queen looked brighter. But it was not so with the princess, who was silent and almost sad, and so things continued for some days. At last the prince could bear it no longer." One afternoon, when he found himself alone with the princess, he turned to her suddenly. "'Princess,' he said, "'can you not give me another answer? You must know that I would fain promise anything you wish, but I dare not bind myself to what might perhaps do you some injury.' Rose turned toward him impatiently. "'That is just it,' she said. "'I am always met by excuses when I ask for the one thing I really desire. What is there about me different from others?' Why should I so often hear of what others seem to understand, and not have it explained to me? I am no longer a child. In my dreams I see things I cannot put in words, and as beautiful as the world is, I feel that I only half know it. I long for what they call the winter, and what they call the snow, and they never come. Only the cold wind, which I have felt once or twice, brings new life to me and fills me with strange joy. The prince hesitated. He understood her perfectly, for he was himself of the same brave and hardy race. Yet the queen's forebodings made him tremble. The princess's words remind him of his own dream, and again he felt as if he heard the voice of the stern winter spirit. And, as if in answer to his uncertainty, at that moment the howl of the cold blast sounded near them among the trees, and lurid clouds began to gather overhead. The princess's face lighted up, "'Ah!' she exclaimed. "'It is coming again!' "'I fear so, indeed,' said Orso, and in his terror for her he caught her hand and would have hurried her back to the palace. But at that moment a shrill little cry was heard overhead, not far from where they stood, and glancing up they saw a bird of prey clutching a smaller one in his claws. 
With a terrible effort, the captive managed to free himself, but he was sadly wounded, and as Rose gazed upward in great concern, she saw him fall fluttering feebly to the ground. All else was forgotten in the sight. "'Poor bird!' she cried. "'Let me go, Prince. I must find where he has fallen, or a cruel death of slow suffering will be his.' The prince loosed her hand. He dared not hold her back, though he could have done so. "'Leave her to the guidings of her own heart,' resounded in his ears. Almost at once she was lost to his sight among the trees, which grew very closely. Almost at the same moment, to his horror, something soft and cold touched his face— and lifting his eyes, he saw the snowflakes were falling thickly. If harm was to be tied, it was too late to save her, but he pressed forward in unspeakable anxiety. It was some little time before he found her, and no reply came to his calls, but at last he caught sight of something blue on the ground. It was the princess's robe, and there indeed she lay motionless, her eyes closed, a sweet smile on her face, the little wounded bird tenderly clasped in her hands. And now I may tell you that this wounded bird was the friend from whom I had the story. For as you will hear, he had plenty of opportunity of learning it all. Orso threw himself on the ground beside the princess. Ah, he exclaimed, my carelessness has killed her. How can I ever dare to face the king and queen? Oh, winter spirit, you have indeed deceived me. But as he said the words, the princess opened her eyes. No, prince, she said, I am not dead. I am not even asleep. It was the strange gladness that seemed to take away my breath for a moment, and I must have sunk down without knowing. But now I feel stronger and happier than ever in my life before, now that I have seen and felt the beautiful snow of my own country, now that I have breathed the winter air I have been longing for always. And she sprang to her feet, her blue eyes sparkling with delight, looking lovelier than he had ever seen her. Or so, she went on, half shyly, you have done what I asked you. Through you I have seen the snow. And she held out her hand, which, white though it was, looked pink in comparison with the little flakes which were fluttering down on it. The prince was overjoyed, but he hesitated. I fear, he said, that in reality you should rather thank the poor little bird, or most of all your kind heart. Poor little bird, she replied, looking at it as it lay on her other hand. It is not dead. I will do all I can for it. Let us hasten home, prince, that I might bind up its poor wing. My father and mother, too, will be anxious about me. And together they returned to the palace. One glance at the princess as she came in, sprinkled over with snow, showed the queen that the spell was at last broken, and her joy was beyond words. My friend recovered slowly. He spent all the winter in the palace, tenderly cared for by Princess Rose, only flying away when the warm sunny days returned. He pays them a visit still every summer to show his gratitude, and tells me that in all his travels he seldom sees a happier family than his friends in the old palace away up in the far, far northern land. "'Thank you,' said the children. "'Thank you oh so much!' But whether the bird heard them or not they could not tell. He had already flown away." Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchantedlibrary. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. 
We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading. <laughs>